Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. Well, tonight, if you're taking notes, the title of this sermon is this, Is God a Republican or a Democrat? Part two. (laughs) Is God a Republican or a Democrat? Part two. Some of you say that's the most absurd title I've ever heard in my life to a church sermon. Well, if you haven't learned this yet, I like to preach about things that nobody else likes to preach about, especially important things, not like stupid things, you know, where, what happened to dinosaurs? Like, we, I mean, actually relevant, important things that need to be talked about, but they're not being talked about. Is God a Republican or a Democrat? Part two. We started with this last week. Basically, to help you understand what I'm going to be talking about is I've been seeing so much. You watch the internet, you listen to Christians talk, and I'm so convinced that Christians are simply just not being taught what the Bible says, or I should say a biblical worldview. I want you to say the word Bible worldview. What is a biblical worldview? It is basically this. It's seeing the world through the lens of the Bible. If you're a Christian, you need to see politics through the lens of the Bible. If you're an American, you need to see America through the lens of the Bible. You need to look around at what's happening in the world today and see it not based off of what CNN says or what Fox says or what Tucker Carlson says. You need to see it through the lens of what the Scripture says. Amen. I watched this video. I told you it really stirred this whole thing up in me. It was called Progressive Christian versus versus Conservative Christian. And it was a debate or kind of a, a, a question that this person was asking these questions like, do you believe... Christians should be pro-choice. Do you believe Christians should abort babies in the womb? And then everybody that agreed with that statement would come and sit down in a chair. And then the other ones that didn't would then come and join. And then they would, you know, kind of talk about why they hold those positions. And listening to it, I was so thoroughly convinced that how are these people... Christians, they claim the name of Jesus, they go to church, but yet they see the world in this way, it's because it's not being taught to them. Where does the Bible stand on these issues? And so I began last week to break down, I said eight, but I'm going to do seven, seven of the traditional views that are held by the Democrat Party and seven traditional views that are, that are also held, the same views that are held by the Republican Party. Basically, the view and then their position on that view. And then we're looking at what the Bible has to say about that subject. Amen. I want to make these statements. Um, and again, why am I preaching this? Because people are ill-informed. And some are ignorant of where the Bible clearly stands on these subjects. The second reason I'm preaching this is the education system isn't teaching our kids the truth, so we must. Amen. I'm telling you right now, everything, if if you didn't catch it last week, go back and listen to it. It's worth listening to. It'll be on podcasts, YouTube, all of that stuff. Your kids are not learning that in public school. Kids aren't learning true history. They're learning censored history. They're learning... You know, everything through the filter of the agenda that's being shoved down their throat. And so, I want you to understand this as well. Just to kind of answer the question, is God a Republican or a Democrat? Well, let me just say this. God isn't either one. But one party specifically is founded on biblical principle. And this is what I wish Christians could get in their head, is that when you vote, and you should vote, say, I should vote. We all have a responsibility to participate in those things. People that say, well, that doesn't really matter to me. Man, I'm telling you, you're, you're living like an ostrich with your head buried in the sand. We have a responsibility to ourselves and to our children and to what God has entrusted to us. And we have the privilege and the freedom. And it's not only a privilege, it really is a responsibility. But I want to get this in you. Don't vote towards a party 
vote the Bible and vote America. Don't just be blindly Republican, and don't just, if some people, there's Christians, they're just blindly Democrat. And that's just how they vote. They don't know any of the issues. They don't know any of the candidates. They don't know anything that's going on. They just have a blind loyalty to a certain party. I want to tell you, don't have a blind loyalty to a party. Vote the Bible and vote America. Amen. But the actual reality, I'm not afraid to say it, and I'm not afraid to step on people's toes, that there's two major, there's two major parties. If you're going to vote the Bible, it is impossible to vote with one of these two parties in light of what the Scripture says. And you'll see this through this teaching. I want to make these statements before I get into this tonight. These aren't these views that I'm going to kind of present. This is the traditional stance that the Democratic Party takes on this subject. This is the traditional stance the Republican Party takes on this subject. Let me say this. These aren't the views of every politician. They are the traditional views of each party. So basically, just because I say the Democrats, they believe this. That doesn't mean every single politician that's a Democrat believes those, these statements through and through, and to what extent. There's a spectrum, and it goes from the right to the middle to the left, and every single politician and person is going to fall on a different place in that spectrum. I'm just telling you the traditional views, that if you said, what does the, in general, the Democratic Party believe, this is what they believe, what is in general, the Republican Party believe, this is what they believe. Amen. What are the views, and where do they weigh in light of the Bible? And obviously, you're going to see this as well, that some of the views that we're going to talk about are going to weigh heavier than others. They're going to carry more significance than others. So last week, we covered this, the positions of a strong government versus a weak government. We looked at the, the Democratic Party. Do they stand for a strong government? Do they stand for a weak government? We explained what all of that was, and then we, we, we went off of, uh, we explained what position the Bible takes. What position in regards to economy? What do the Democrats traditionally believe? What do the Republicans traditionally believe? And what does the Bible teach about the economy? Marriage, say marriage. What does the Democratic Party believe about marriage traditionally? What does the Republican Party believe about marriage traditionally? What does the Bible say about marriage? I'm telling you guys, if you didn't catch it, go back and listen to it. Amen. So this week... Number four, this is the fourth subject that we're going to cover. It is health care. Say health care. Can you say, John, why are you preaching stuff like this? Because it matters. It matters. Amen. I want to teach you some things because also I want you to understand this as well. People are like, well, you should just preach the gospel. Jesus did not say just to preach the gospel. He said go and preach the message about the kingdom. The kingdom and the gospel aren't entirely just the same message. The gospel is very specific that Jesus Christ came to the earth as a man. He died for your sins. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was crucified. He died. He resurrected from the dead. He ascended to God's right hand. And whosoever believes in him, believes in their heart, and confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead shall be saved. That's a gospel message. We're saved by God's grace through faith and faith alone. Amen. But Jesus said, preach the message of the kingdom. What's the message of the kingdom? Well, the kingdom is, is how God's domain works, how God's government works. I want you to think about this, that God, God is the ruler of the universe. So there's no planet you could go to in the entire universe that would be outside of God's domain, right? The solar system, the universe, everything, that is God's kingdom. Okay, well, he created the earth, and he gave it to man. The Bible says the heavens belong to the, uh, to the Lord, but the earth he's given to man. So our, man came into this little planet that is also a part of God's kingdom. Right? And God gave this earth to man. Well, we know that sin entered into the world. Satan caused men to fall, and, and destruction came, and the earth 
became, and man became something that was opposite of what God had created them. So when Jesus came, he didn't only come to restore man so that you can be saved one day and go to heaven. No, he restored the kingdom. Say the kingdom, which is basically God's way, God's function, God's form of government, God's society. How things work and operate in the kingdom, Jesus said we must teach people these things. Because the question, if it's just the gospel, just the gospel, just the gospel, then what are people supposed to do after they get saved? You know, you get saved at 19, then what? You just live the rest of your life and have no idea? No, now you must learn how to live in the kingdom. And so let's talk about some of these principles. Healthcare. The traditional position of the Democrat Party is this. They believe in federally funded health care which means this, all citizens get it in place of a free market competition. Federally funded, I want you to say federally funded. So basically, this is like government health care provided. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to do anything for it. It's free, and it's just given to you. This is the traditional position of the Democrat Party. But specifically, I want you to see the part where it says, in place of a free market competition. So the thing is, it's not only do they want to help people get government health care, they don't want people to have any other option than their option. Okay? So I'm going to show you why that's important in just a moment. The Republicans, in regards to health care, traditionally believe in private health care. Providers compete to offer the best deals. Private health care, providers compete to offer the best deals deals. So I'm going to kind of break down a point here and let's ask this. So which, and if you're looking at this position and you say, this is what the Democrats believe, this is what the Republicans believe, where does the Bible fall in line with this? Does the Bible talk about health care? Not necessarily or specifically. I know God's our healer, but it talks about other principles such as this. Write this down. The kingdom doesn't operate under socialism or communism, but more towards capitalism. The kingdom doesn't operate under socialism or communism, but more towards capitalism. You may say, what are all three of those things? I'm going to explain it to you. Capitalism. Capitalism is this. It's an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state. Say private ownership. Let me just simplify it for you. You work and you earn your estate. You want a nice house, you go to work and you succeed and guess what? You go buy you a nice house and no one owns that house but you. Okay? That's capitalism. What is socialism? It's a political and economic theory of social organization which advocates that the means of production Distribution and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. What does that mean? You say, John, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'll give you an example. Someone else works and the money is given to you for your estate. Capitalism is you go to work, you earn the money, you buy an estate. Socialism is somebody else goes to work and money's taken from them to go to you so that you can buy your estate. A distribution of wealth. Okay, you have an occupation where you make $150,000 a year. This person over here has an occupation where they make $40,000 a year. I know what we'll do. We'll tax the person that makes $150,000 a year so much and give it to the person that makes less so that it's equal, so that they both equal out about the same. Well, I can tell you, in theory, you're saying, man, that sounds great, but I can tell you it doesn't work. Say it doesn't work. If you say, why doesn't it work? Watch last week's sermon. We gave so many examples of why it doesn't work, but I'm not going to go through all of that again today. Now, communism. I want you to say communism. What is communism? It's a political theory derived from Karl Marx advocating class war and leading to a society in which all property is publicly owned and each person works and is paid according to their abilities and needs. So let me simplify. What is communism? You own nothing. You live in the estate owned by the government. So those three things, capitalism, you go to work, 
You buy a house, you own it, nobody else can touch it. Socialism, somebody else goes to work, the money comes to you for you to buy your house. Communism is, you don't even own your house, the government owns it, and it's just provided to you for free. Or you just pay a little fee, and it's not actually yours, but you get to live in it. Okay? Everybody with me? So the point is this, that the kingdom doesn't operate under socialism. It's not like a socialist uh, uh, socialist structure. It's not a communist structure. It's a capitalist structure. Where do we get this? We talked about the parable of the talents last week. Jesus gave three different servants three different portions. And what's interesting in that parable is that their reward was based off of productivity, not equal distribution. Right? What you did with what God gave you determined what you got. The person that was given five, they multiplied it five times over and got ten. The person that was given three multiplied it two times over, They were, and then they ended up with six. But there was one person that took what was given to them, did absolutely nothing with it. See, in a socialist uh, structure, Jesus would have came back and said, Okay, now the person that made 10, let's take half of it and give it to the person that only has one so that it'll all be equal. Is that what Jesus did in that parable? No, he didn't. He said, to those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. And to those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. So not only did he not evenly distribute the productivity, the, the, the harvest, the hard work, the earnings of the person that did well with what they were given, he took the one that did nothing, he took, it, took what they had away and gave it to the one that was the most successful. Amen. So, I want you to get that. The kingdom doesn't operate under socialism or communism, but more towards capitalism. I want you to write this point down under health care. When medical care is funded by the government, the government can use those benefits against you to force medical and political agendas. So remember, the Democrats believe, federally funded, we give you free health care and you only have that one option. But here's the, the thing that's the problem with that. When medical care is funded by the government, the government can use those benefits against you to force medical and political agendas. Basically, it's this. We give you free medical benefits. Now you do what we say or we don't give you medical care. You guys say that sounds crazy. Did you know that that was already just attempted in the United States of America? I'm going to use the word jab, J-A-B, instead of the V-A-X because I don't want to get censored and taken off everything because this can actually help people. But that's what they were trying to do is there was a whole party that literally believed if you don't take this jab, we're not going to give you medical attention. That means you could come into our facilities with stage three cancer, something totally unrelated to the fake virus. And we're not going to give you radiation. We're not going to give you chemotherapy. We're not going to treat you at all because you refuse to take the thing that we're telling you you must take. That's one of the problems when the government gives, uh, the medical care is funded by the government, the government can use those benefits against you to force medical and political agendas. This was attempted in our nation that doesn't have federally funded medical care. Can you imagine what would have happened if we did have federally funded medical care? Can you imagine what that would have looked like? It was tested, it was tried, but it didn't work. Why? Because we are capitalists. We have an open market where people have choices. Write this down under health care. If the government funds and controls the medical industry, they will promote and suppress based on agenda. If the government funds and controls the medical industry, they will promote and suppress on agenda. I'll give you an example of this. Did you know that just last week, Pfizer, anybody know who Pfizer is? The one that's given out all these things? Pfizer just released 80,000 pages of data last week. 
Data came out. 80,000 pages. That's absolutely insane. Who's going to read 80,000 pages? Well, there's some people that did read the 80,000 pages that was released of data. And guess what they found in the data that was released? It showed, according to their data released by them, that the jab is actually capable of harming the fetus in a pregnant woman's womb. Came out. We all, I mean, most people say, I know that. Well, now there's proof. It's in the data. We always heard this cry that this thing is 95% effective. Well, actually, according to the data, it came out it's not 95% effective. According to the data, it was actually only 12% effective. But yet, guess what, guys? The people behind this weren't ignorant of that data, but yet it was still promoted anyways. It was still pushed anyways. And things like hydroxychloroquine, if anybody remembers that, people were taking an over-the-counter medicine that has been given to people with malaria for years and years and years and getting great results. They started suppressing one thing and promoting another thing, even though the other thing produced results. Why would they do that? Two reasons. Number one, money. Say money. Number two, agenda. Say agenda. Why would they suppress one that works and promote one that we see clearly is killing people and only has a 12% effectiveness? Why would they do that? Because the government has contracts with Pfizer. Give you an example of this. Last week as well, Pfizer released their reports. This is public record. Pfizer last, in 2022, Pfizer has made $7.86 billion in profit in the first quarter of 2022. When you say profit, that's not the money that came in and then now they got expenses and bills to pay. That's the money that they profited after expenses. $7.86 billion just in the first quarter of 2022. That's in the first three months. Well, how, how are they making all of this money? Because it's being promoted due to agenda by the government pushed. You have to take this. This is the only thing that's safe. We're going to make contracts and give it for free out at Walmart, but yet it's actually killing fetuses in the womb and only has a 12% effective rate. Do you see the point? If the government funds and controls the medical industry, they will promote and suppress based off of their agenda. You know, they'll try to, they tried to mandate, say mandate, You remember that? That just a few months ago, they tried to make the jab mandated, forced. What does it do? It lines their pockets. We talked about it last week. How is it that a politician can go into office? You look at, for example, Barack Obama went into office. His net worth was under a million dollars. I think it was six hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars. When he left office after eight years, his net worth was seventy million dollars. Do you know what the president's salary is? $500,000. $500,000 times eight years don't equal $70 million. Where's all this money coming from? Well, I'd be probably not with him necessarily, but my whole point is these political agendas that are being pushed, and it's only benefiting a specific elite class. Amen. What in the world is going on with the lights? <laughs> I don't think Fauci, unfortunately, he couldn't reach the light bar on the wall. Anyway, so, you know, you think about this, though. They were already threatening to take away practitioners' light license if they prescribed. We're talking about hydroxychloroquine. They told practitioners, if you prescribe this, we'll take away your license. And then they told pharmacists and pharmacies that they were not allowed to distribute it. Guys, this just happened. This happened in a country that doesn't have government-funded medical care. Can you imagine? Why do you think it was a different story in Australia? Why do you think it was a different story in in Europe and all these other countries? Because they do. (laughs) Why do you think when America was finally opening up and we had freedoms, there's still countries that were under complete lockdown for an entire year? Government control. Say control. 
Imagine the government, if the government had total control over health care over the last two years. Write this point down. Under health care, America has already flirted. Write this. America flirted with federally funded health care. America flirted with federally funded health care. What do I mean by that? Well, we've already kind of experimented with it. It was called Obamacare under President Barack Obama. It was called the Affordable Health Care Act, or I think that Affordable Health Care. Now it's Biden Care. Okay, well, what happened? Anybody that knows anything about Obamacare, when it was legalized, when it was put into law, when it was put into effect, it took away your right to have health care, to not have health care. I think a lot of people understood this. It took away your right. You legally had to have medical insurance. If you didn't have medical insurance, you would be fined when tax season came around. I want to ask you this question. Has anybody ever went to the doctor and paid cash before? Way cheaper. Way cheaper. If you go up to the front desk, I'm telling you, if you haven't done it, try it. You go to a doctor's visit or a specialist, and then they say, "What do you have insurance? You said, no, I don't have insurance. And then you say, I'm a cash payer. It's way cheaper. They'll work out a deal. They'll come back and say, oh, if you pay cash, it's actually only this amount. It's way cheaper. Why do they do that? Because they, can, they know they can get thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars out of the insurance companies. So here's my point. When Obama forced medical care and said everybody has to have it, and we'll talk about some of the stipulations, you know what it did to medical insurance? It caused the price to go up through the roof. It caused the cost of insurance to skyrocket. You either had to have insurance through your job, have work for an employer that provided it, or under Obamacare, you had to make under $75,000 a year to use your, quote, what they called tax credits. So anyone that made over $75,000 a year and didn't have it provided for them through their job, on average, was paying about $2,000 a month for a poopy health insurance plan that hardly covered nothing. $2,000 a month, that's absolutely crazy. And I want to tell you what it ended up doing is it actually ended up pushing people into poverty and government control. You know why? Because they said, well, if I make over $75,000 a year, then I, have to pay. I can't use these tax credits. I can't take care of these advantages. So I'm actually going to do everything that I possibly can to try to keep my income for the year under $75,000 so that I'm not either A, fine, or B, I don't have to pay two grand or $2,500 from my family to have health insurance. And it pushed people, again, into wanting to make less money in total government dependency. That's why when President Trump came in, people don't even understand how this stuff works. Me and my wife, before we knew all this, the first year or two of our marriage, we, we got in on that. We're like, oh, shoot, great. You know, it's wonderful. And we started noticing this is keeping us and driving us into poverty. I've told you guys that we were under a part of the Obamacare thing, and we were sitting around, and I started figuring out, how I could make money and not have to claim it and, you know, all this different stuff because I was like, if I, if I make a little bit more money, then it's going to find me at the end of the year. You know, that was part of the thing is if you claimed you made $60,000 a year and then you, you're under Obamacare, they give you these tax credits according to how big your family is and what your income is, and you get to the end of the year and you made more money than what you claimed, you had to pay a whole bunch of money back to the government. So what does it keep you doing? I got to make sure I don't make more money. That's demonic. That's a system of poverty. Sorry, y'all, if this is just different than a normal church message, but it's a reality. People just don't have any idea what's going on. But you need to know this stuff. Say control. You know, Revelation chapter 13, if you go to this church, you're very familiar with this passage, uh, but I'll just read it. Anyways, in case we have some online viewers, the Bible says under the Antichrist, in verses 16 through 17, when the Antichrist rises to power at the end of days, it says he will require everyone 
small and great, rich or poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. No one can buy or sell anything without that mark, which is either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. I want you to require. So the Antichrist government is going to look like government control, dictatorship, requiring something of you, mandating something of you. I want you to say control. Control is bad. Amen. Anytime you see policies moving in the direction of government control and oppression, it's actually just setting the stage for an antichrist agenda and an antichrist government. So the number five, this is the fifth position, traditional position is military. Number five, military. What is the Democrat view of military traditionally? It's this. They believe, they believe reduce nation's budget on military and or diffuse military to an extent. They believe reducing the nation's budget, so how much money we have to spend on military or diffusing the military to an extent, they believe this, that peace is achieved through the world, through worldwide relationship building with other nations. Peace is achieved through worldwide relationship building with other nations. You may say, man, that sounds great. Let's just go make friends with everyone and not have a military. I want to tell you, in heaven, that sounds like a great plan. But on the earth, that doesn't work. We'll explain why in just a moment. The Republican view is this. The key to protection is a strong military or strong defense. All right, so let's, let's look at some points here from the Bible perspective. What side does the Bible weigh on? Well, I want to make this point. First and foremost is, is this, write this down. God is a strong protector. God is a strong protector. God doesn't believe, and you know what? Let's spend less attention protecting my flock and protecting my children and protecting those that are underneath me, and, you know, we'll just make friends with everybody. No, the Bible paints a picture that God is an extremely strong protector. If you've ever read Psalms 91, it says that those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge. Say refuge. He's my place of safety. He's my God, and I trust him. He'll rescue you from every trap. He'll protect you. Say protect you from deadly disease. He'll cover you with his feathers. He'll shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Say protection. Don't be afraid of the terrors of the night nor the arrows that fly by the day. Don't dread the disease that stalks in the darkness nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge and the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you and no plague will come to your home. He will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You'll trample upon lions and cobras. You'll crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I'll rescue those who love me. I'll protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I'll rescue them and honor them and reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. I want you to say protector. In Psalms 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It says, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll not be afraid. You're close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. The shepherd had a staff for the sheep, and the shepherd also had a rod for the wolves. So when a wolf comes to attack the sheep, does the, does the Bible say God just says, oh, can't we just all be friends? No, it says that the shepherd takes that bat, that rod, and he smashes the wolf in the head, and he protects the sheep. God is a strong protector. 1 John 5.18, we know that God's children don't make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. I want you to say securely. Say security. 
The Lord protects us. He holds us. The evil one cannot touch us. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. It says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple. Look at that. God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So say, I'm the temple. If you're the temple, it says God will destroy anybody that destroys that temple. Say, God will destroy anybody that tries to destroy me. Everybody knows about the love of God and the grace and the mercy of God, and that's all absolutely true. But what the Bible is saying here is this. You don't mess with God's children. The church is Jesus' bride. You don't touch the bride of Christ. God will destroy you if you put your hand on his bride. So does the Bible paint a picture of a weak protector or a strong protector? I want to make this point, protecting what God has entrusted to us doesn't mean that we hate those who oppose us. Doesn't mean that we go around and we hate the nations, we hate the Japanese people, we hate the Middle Eastern people, we hate people. No, the Bible says in Matthew 5, 43 through 48, you've heard what the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for them, say pray for them who persecute you in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, your reward, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. You are to be perfect even as your Father is perfect. So he said to what? Love our enemies. Amen. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Say pray. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Say pray for them. So the Bible clearly teaches that God is a protector. And that we should also protect what God has given us, right? But at the same time, it doesn't say that we just go around demonizing, making enemies, and that we hate other people of the world. No, we even we love and we pray for those that oppose us, right? When, when, the, when the terrorists struck the Twin Towers, September 11th, 2001, what's the easiest thing to do? I hate those people. I want nothing to do with those people. When I see those people, there's a hatred that's going to burn on the inside of me. Is that the way of the kingdom, though? Absolutely not. The way of the kingdom is love them, pray for them, even when they bring destruction and they're your enemies. But does that mean that you weaken your defense and you don't protect your people? No. Say no. So we are called to love, but we're also called to protect. So why doesn't it work? I told you it doesn't work to just have this idea that peace is achieved through worldwide relationship building with other nations. Well, it doesn't work because of this. You can write this down. Other nations don't always have America or its people in best interest. Wish you could tell some of these politicians, but if you ask me, I think that they know. I don't think they're ignorant of it. <laughs> it's not like they don't know, but it's like, here's a crazy thought. With all these foreign affairs, have you ever thought that not everybody has America and its people at their interest in, you know, their best interest in mind? Building relationships sadly means taking away from America and its people to benefit other nations who at times have promoted America's demise. Give you an example of this idea, we don't need a military, we'll just achieve peace through worldwide relationships, building with other nations. Again, this a lot of times means that America suffers for it. Example, let's shut down the Keystone Pipeline and import our oil from overseas, from other nations. Right? That'll make us on good terms. We'll have peace with them. We'll have friendship with them. But what's the result of that for America? Gas prices skyrocket. People Thousands of people lose their jobs in the oil industry. 
Now, America is not self-sufficient in regards to natural resources any longer. And we put ourselves at the mercy of people who may not have our interests, our best interest at heart. So under this point of other nations don't always have America or its people in best interest, this was a quote from George Washington in his farewell address. If you know anything about George Washington, he was the first president. He served for eight years, and they wanted him to basically become like a king under a different democracy. But they said, why don't you just keep serving? Why don't you serve another four years, another eight years? After the eight years, that's why we only have two terms for the president. After that eight years, he resigned. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he gave a farewell address where he began to warn our country and the future generations of specific things. And this is one of the things that he said. He said, he warned about many things, one being, quote, making alliances with foreign nations whose interests are not shared with America. Write this point down. America must be strong first, then from her strength, the other nations will be blessed. America must be strong first, and then from her strength, the other nations will be blessed. Matthew 15, 26, Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Are y'all following me here? Hopefully this ain't boring you tonight. It's not right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. So what is God's expectation for a nation? It's not right to take away from your own people while they're suffering, while they have needs that aren't being met, and throw it away and give it away to other people. This woman came to Jesus for healing, but he said, I didn't come. It's not my time yet to go to all the nations and to the Gentiles. I came only for God's lost sheep. This is my people. This is my assignment. And it's not right for me to take the children's bread and throw it to the docks. 1 Timothy 5.8, it says, anyone who does not provide for its own, say its own, especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So what is God's expectation of our government, of our nation? Take care of the American people. Protect the interests of the American people. Protect the people of this nation. Amen. Let's move on to the next. Next point is this, gun control. Gun control. Number six, gun control. The Democrats traditionally believe this. They oppose the right for citizens to conceal weapons in public places. They oppose the right for citizens to conceal weapons in public places. That's a nice way to say it. The real actuality is that they don't want people to have guns, period. Republicans strongly support the Second Amendment, and they support the right to conceal weapons in public places. Kids, I'm going to tell you something here that you may not have known. I'm going to actually read. What is your Second Amendment? So the Democrat Party doesn't believe, they always try to say the Second Amendment, that was written for a different time, a different people. It's not applicable to us today. We need to remove that right from the people. We need to make an amendment to that amendment. The Republicans strongly believe in the Second Amendment. What is the Second Amendment? It's this, a right to have a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So the Second Amendment of the Bill of Rights for the American people is the right, I want you to see that part, the right of the people to keep and bear arms. Not only to have firearms, the right to bear arms, to keep arms. In context... This amendment was made, it was given so that the people could protect themselves against threats, foreign and domestic. I want you to see this point. The Bill of Rights wasn't given to protect the government from the people infringing. It was given to the people 
or it was given to protect the people from the government infringing. The Bill of Rights wasn't given to protect the government from the people infringing upon the government. It was given to protect the people from the government infringing upon them. Give you a quote that Adolf Hitler said. So remember, the Democratic Party believes they don't believe that you should have the right to bear arms, to keep and bear arms. Adolf Hitler made this statement. He said, to conquer a nation, you must first disarm its citizens. Think about this. The Declaration of Independence says that every man and woman have the right to life Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I'm going to talk about these things real quick. The Declaration of Independence, our founding fathers believe that every single man and woman should have the right to life. Say life. You should have the right to live your life. You should have the right to not only life, liberty. Say liberty. What is liberty? Freedom and the pursuit of happiness. Basically, you have the right and freedom to live your life, govern your life, and make decisions for your own life. In the Bill of Rights, I want to read to you our First Amendment, and is this. The First Amendment of the Bill of Rights is, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So it's the freedom of religion. That's why in America, guys, we can gather like we're doing right now, and there's not a government outside that's trying to drag us out and chop our heads off. We have the right to believe what we want to believe. I have the right to preach whatever I want to preach, according to the Bill of Rights, our First Amendment. It says, I have the free exercise. I get to determine how I exercise what I believe. Or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble. So the Congress shall make no law, say no law, respecting or prohibiting, in context, prohibiting the right of the people to peaceably assemble. So whenever they come out and say, you can't gather you know, you can't go to church, you have to shut down, you have to lock down. No, that's, a, that's against our First Amendment right. You don't have the right, according to the Constitution, to institute any law, any ordinance that tells us that we can't peaceably assemble together and exercise our religion as we see fit. That's why people say, I mean, it's so stupid. Our generation of pastors, they're just being so weak and spineless that they say, well, Romans 13 says you must obey the government. This is the government's law. This is the law of the land. Why don't you take that argument and read the First Amendment, our First Amendment right of the Bill of Rights? What are you doing that's so wrong that you would take that position? Are you kidding me? I'm doing, I'm exercising the right that is given to me according to (laughs) United States law. Amen. It says, the right of the people to peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a readdress of grievances. So you have the right of religion. You have the right of speech. You have the freedom of life, of liberty, in the pursuit of happiness. And then what did our founding fathers do? They gave you your second amendment, the right to bear and keep arms, the right to keep and bear arms. For what? To protect your, your right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of, happy, pursuit of happiness and your first amendment right. Amen. Your second amendment gives you the right to defend both your first amendment and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So I want you to write this down under gun gun control. Here's another point. In order for America to be dismantled, the Constitution must be undone. In order for America to to be dismantled, the Constitution must be undone. For the Constitution to be undone, our rights must be stripped away. People may think it's crazy, but in regards to this pandemic, the pandemic, 
You have to strip people's rights away. In order for America to fall, the Constitution must be undone. In order for it to be undone, people must have their rights stripped away because we have these rights that give us the right to protect our rights. I don't know if that makes sense to everybody. I want you to think about this. I heard this said that if you get people into fear, you won't have to take their rights. They will hand them over freely. What was all this going on the last couple of years? It just doesn't even make sense. We were watching American Idol, and there was like four contestants that couldn't come on the stage because they had, quote, COVID-19, right? So they like film them in. They're sitting in, a, in their hotel rooms. They look fine. They're singing their hearts out, you know, killing it, doing a great job. And they're like, oh, sorry, you know, they tested positive for COVID. And you're sitting here thinking, what happened to this virus that's killing so many people that you're going to be put on a ventilator, you're going to die? Man, it's like you're just sitting there, and, and they gave you a test, and you look absolutely fine. You're singing. You look good. You sound good. You're, there's no reason you can't be there. It just absolutely doesn't make sense. What was the purpose in all of this that happened? What was the purpose in the media and the government pushing this on the people? Well, if, if you get people into fear, you don't have to take away their rights. They'll hand them over freely. It's trying to strip away our rights. I really think that there's a group of people that, were, that was trying to test how far they could go with the American people. How far would the American people let them push and infringe upon our rights? Yeah, we sure did. Dr. Rodney Howard Brown says, any ground you give up to fear, you'll never regain. Always remember that. Any ground you give up to fear, you'll never regain. You know, that was like the cry of, of the state, the cry of the government. The cry, they said, just hand these over to us temporarily, and when it's all said and done, we'll restore everything. I'm telling you guys, we're years down the line, and it still ain't back to normal how it was. Because any ground that you give to fear, any ground that you give to fear, you'll never regain. And you need to understand this as well, is that America is the dam that's holding back the flood of one world government. America really is, is the last domino that has to fall into place before America falls into line, falls into suit with the United Nations, with one world government, with one world economy. It's our rights it's our liberty, it's our freedoms that protect this country and its citizens, so those must be stripped away in order for America to fall and then fall into suit with the other nations of the world. So anytime that you see policy, I don't care, you know, again, people may think, John, you're crazy, you're being conspiracy theorist. I don't believe that all of these mass shootings that just seem to be happening, I don't believe that all of them, I don't believe that some of them weren't staged by the government. You know, you look at what happened in Las Vegas at the Jason Aldean thing. I mean, it's crazy when you start looking at the forensic reports of what they said happened and then the, refer the forensic reports, out, it just doesn't make sense. You're like, there was so much more going on in this situation than the story that came out. Why? To push this narrative that guns are bad, people shouldn't have the right to have guns, and the only way we can protect the American people is to strip away the firearms from the average man and the average woman, and I'm telling you that it's all a plot and a plan to strip away the rights of Americans. If you go to a, a defense class, the best protection against a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. I mean, according to the world standards. Amen. Let's cover this last point, and I'll let y'all go tonight. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but the Lord, he really does. Like, when I study this stuff, it's not boring to me. It's not a drag. It's really, it's, it's in my spirit, and it's in my heart. Number seven, abortion. Let's talk about abortion. The Democrats believe 
Pro-choice, very simply, pro-choice. What is it? A woman has a right to choose. Whether the baby lives, whether the baby dies, they, they, you know, they define it many different ways. It's my body. If I don't want to go into labor, I don't have to go into labor. Uh, and then they say, well, it's not your body. There's another body inside of you. There's another living being inside of you. Well, they have to now try to figure out how to get around that and make a loophole and say, well, then that baby's not actually a living being. It's just a cluster of cells. What is the point that life actually starts? When can we consider a life a life? If we can kind of say that this isn't a life and justify it, then it makes it okay that we're just killing these babies who can feel pain. Do you know that? You know babies in the womb at that age, they can feel pain like you feel pain like I feel pain. They experience, I mean, it's just, terrorizing. Can you imagine? Some of the ways that they abort these children is absolutely horrendous. Chopping off limbs of their body while they're alive and can feel pain, little parts at a time. I mean, and then, you know, pulling it out, suctioning the baby out. It's, it's absolutely horrible. And you say, well, John, that's graphic, but you need to hear it because it's exactly what's going on. And too many Christians, because we just want to build big organizations and churches, they won't say anything about it. They won't tell people that this is right and this is wrong and this is what the Bible says about this. So they believe in pro-choice. That's the traditional view of the Democratic Party. The traditional view, again, I'm not saying every single politician. I'm saying traditionally the Republican view is this, pro-life. They emphasize on providing alternatives to abortion such as adoption. Well, let's answer some questions. When does God recognize life according to the Bible. Write this down. God recognizes life in the womb. Isaiah 1, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 1, 5 says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. I want you to see this. He says, I formed you in your mother's womb. So who forms the baby in the womb? God. God forms the baby in the mother's womb. It's not just a cluster of cells. No, the Lord says, I formed you in the womb. So he says, I knew you. Who? Jeremiah. That means that this child, even before they were in the womb, God had an identity attached to it. There was a face attached to that child. There was a purpose attached to that child. There was a legacy. There was a destiny. There was a plan from heaven attached to that child even before it was conceived. So what happened when Jeremiah the prophet was conceived? The Lord took uh, took a child, took a seed, and he began to form and create a being that that identity and purpose and person would come into that being. God recognizes life in the womb. Look at Psalms 139, 13 through 18. Psalms 139, 13 through 18 says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You matched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day my life, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Even the moment, uh, I'm sorry, every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. What do you think about that? God recognizes life in the womb. Amen. Well, I'm going to even solidify it even stronger. Look at Luke 1.44. It says, when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. This was Elizabeth talking to Mary. Elizabeth was pregnant with John. Mary was pregnant with Jesus. And it says, Elizabeth told Mary, when I heard your greeting, the baby, say baby, in my womb jumped for joy. 
This is the Greek word brephos. Guess what this Greek word brephos for baby, what it means? It has two definitions. Number one, it means an unborn child, an embryo, a fetus. So that word for baby is the Greek word brephos. That Greek word can mean an unborn child, an embryo, a fetus, but it's the same exact word. Brephos also means a newborn child, an infant, or a babe. Here's my point. God sees them the exact same. The same word in the Bible for a fetus in the womb is the exact same Greek word that's used for an infant child outside of the womb. Same word. No variation in the word. So what does that mean? God does not make a distinction between the baby outside of the womb and the fetus that's inside of the womb. Amen. This point as well, the enemy has always been behind the killing of babies. You say, well, you know, Christians, I, I don't really know what point I should stand with, which side I should stand with. Well, you need to understand the enemy's always been behind the killing of babies. Exodus 1, 15 through 16, this was Moses. When Moses was born, it says, then the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Sifra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. So that happened in Moses' time, in Jesus' time, Matthew 2, 16. Jesus, it says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him, and he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's reports of the star's first appearance. So every time in the Bible that you have this plan, this strategy, this execution to go and kill babies, the devil's been behind it every time. Very simply, John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Well, we just define that the Bible defines a life in the womb as a baby, as a infant child. So if we kill an infant child, what is that? That's murder. Who's behind murder? The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Here's my last point tonight. Under abortion. Children are a gift and a blessing from the Lord, not a curse or a burden. Psalms 127.3 says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. You'll never believe some of the positions that you hear the left taking about this. You know, they say that it's wrong, that, a, that forcing a woman to have to provide for a child for 18 years, we have no right to make that decision for somebody. We have no right. You have a baby, and they're saying it's so wrong that it, it, it just keeps people in poverty. They should be free from having that obligation. They should have the right to abort the child so they don't have to financially take care of it for 18 years. Let me tell you, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard because the Bible says that children are not a curse, and they're not a burden. They're a gift and a blessing from the Lord. Y'all, that's why, honestly, I'll be nice about it, but everybody makes jokes, oh, man, you guys just have so many children. And I'm like, to me, child's not a curse. It's not a burden. You know, really, the, uh, ch having children is actually a mark of prosperity and the blessing of the Lord. In fact, in Deuteronomy 28.11, part of the blessing that God gave is he said, the, the Lord will give you prosperity. Say prosperity. In the land that he swore to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with many children. Many, that means more than one. Numerous livestock and abundant crops. When you read about the blessing of the Lord, children are a part of the blessing every time it's referenced in the Bible. Amen. Hallelujah. So as I said, when it comes to voting, when it comes to political positions, I believe everybody in this room would probably stand unanimously, but stand with the Bible. Amen. I mean, it's just so simple to me. There's pastors say, well, we don't want to get up to our congregation and say, you should vote Republican, you should vote Democratic. We really just want to hands off. 
to each his own. No, I'm telling you, there's only really one side that you can vote with and not be in opposition to God. And it's not because to answer the question, is God a Republican or a Democrat? Well, he's not a Republican or a Democrat. But the Republican Party, just a fun fact for you to know, it was built off of Christianity. Do you know that the Republican Party was formed in the late 1800s from a group of people coming together that wanted to end slavery? It really was. They came together and said slavery is unconstitutional. A group of people, a group of men came together and formed what's known as the Republican Party as a push to end slavery in the United States of America. That's what the Republican Party was birthed out of. Amen. Hallelujah. Y'all, let me just pray for you, and I'm going to close this service out. Father, I thank you for revelation. Thank you for knowledge. Thank you, Lord, that we're not going to be ignorant of these things. I thank you for educating us, Lord, with your word. I thank you for bringing us light, bringing us revelation. Lord, I thank you that you're giving us the ability to make disciples of this nation. Lord, that when you called us to make disciples, you didn't just say go disciple people. You said disciple nations. That's what that word really meant. The church is not supposed to just fly under the radar. Lord, we believe our mandate that we should actually change this culture. And I prophesied in Jesus' name that these kids that are growing up right now, they have an agenda being shoved down their throat. They're being shoved in a certain direction, but not our kids in Jesus' name. Our kids will know the truth. Our kids will know what's going on. And I thank you, Father, that we will make change. We're not just going to stand here and preach about it and talk about it, but, Lord, that we are a force of change in this time and in this generation, that we are the preservative of the United States of America, and we catch the devil in the act, and we catch and snatch the thief's hand, and we say, not on our watch. We will not let America fall down the drain, and we will not let America fall to the wayside. That we will cry out, we'll preach, we'll declare, we'll proclaim, we'll stand, and we'll always catch the thief in the action and point this generation to the truth. Father, we thank you. We give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, hallelujah. Y'all give the Lord a shout of praise tonight. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.